If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to two different places, Genesis chapter 18 and Deuteronomy 32. So Genesis 18, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and welcome to week 13 of a series that has us walking through the attributes of God, a series that we are calling Behold, where we are looking intently upon just the picture of God as He has revealed Himself to us. So as we've said from the beginning, we are able to know God because God has made Himself known to us. But let me just step back and say this. God has made Himself known to us, but we don't always like what and who He has revealed Himself to be. There are things about God that we um, don't like or things about God that trouble us. I think of the prayer of Walter Brueggemann um, in his book, All to Heaven, Rooted in Earth. And he said, you are not the God um, we would have chosen. Um, you are not the God we would have chosen. And just think about that. We often want a God who is faithful to our wants, uh, faithful to our wishes, faithful to our desires, who does everything that we would do in every circumstance and in every situation. And just think about it. We want a God that we want. And the good news is there are... Um, many have found such a God. In fact, there are many um, of those kinds of gods, gods that we have created in our image, that people have constructed out of snippets of the Bible and glued together by our own desires and our own wishes. And um, these gods that we create move exactly the way we want them to, do everything we would have them to do in every situation. And for some, maybe that's really good news, that there are gods that do what we want them to do, um, but also that is bad news. And let me tell you why that's bad news, because none of those gods that we could ever create represent the God of the Bible. And that's bad news for us. A good question for a person who has thoughts concerning God is this. So if you've ever been a thinker of God, here's a good question. Have you ever been rebuked by your God? So has your God, has the God that you serve ever rebuked you? Or does your God agree absolutely with everything you believe in? Just let that sink in. So if the God that you serve always agrees with you and shares your opinion on everything, here's what I would tell you to do. Go look in the mirror and behold your God. For you are worshiping yourself. Um, the reality is the God of this Bible, his ways are different than our ways. Because he's holy, we're sinful. Therefore, we are going to be different and we need to be corrected by him. Again, um, Walter uh, Brueggemann also writes, and we'll put that on the screen now, he writes these words, We would like to take the hammer of doctrine and take the nails of religiousness and nail your, being God's feet, to the floor. And have you stay in one place. So that's kind of what we want. We want God um, who is predictable, who we know will stay right where we want him to be. And then it says, and then we find you're moving, always surprising us, always coming at us from new directions. And this is the picture of the God that we serve. We are often tempted to project our humanity on to God, meaning this, as our culture, we live in a culture where we work hard to establish parity to establish equality among people and um, that's a very good thing but then oftentimes we try to project that upon God and we say well God you have to play by the same rules that we do and the, and the reality is no he doesn't he is God he does not have to play by our rules he makes decisions on his own initiative and get this God owes us 
no explanations. He owes us no explanations at all. And this morning we come to a very deep and a very tough subject when it comes to the attributes of God, and that is the the justice of God. And of course what that means is that God can judge between right and wrong, and He will administer justice according to not our standards, but according to His standards. The fact that God is just assures us that God acts as a judge, and as a judge, He will administer justice um, perfectly. For perfect justice is not just something that God possesses, it is His very essence or His very nature, meaning God is justice. This is who He is. Yet, let's, let's just be honest for a second. The doctrine of the justice of God has definitely fallen on hard times. You know, many of us treat the justice of God like we treat that one uncle in our family. You know, the embarrassing one um, that, that always comes up to us in the crowd and says, Hey! And we're like, oh man, here he is again. Maybe you call him Uncle Frank. I, I, don't, I don't know. But we all, we all have um, that, that one uncle. And many times we think of God and some of his attributes that way. We try to keep them hidden. We, we work hard to keep God's justice or his anger or his, his wrath from public exposure. We're even tempted to apologize for certain traits of, of God or, or act like those traits are the dark side of his character without or maybe while forgetting that God doesn't have a dark side of his character. The Apostle John says God is light and in, in him is no what? So he has no dark side to his character. It is all light. It's impossible for God to ever do anything evil. It's impossible for God to ever act unjustly. He just can't do it. In fact, think of it like this. If God fails to be just, then he fails to be holy. And if God fails to be anything, then he's not God. For we serve a God who cannot fail in anything that he does. He cannot stop being who he is. So let's jump into the word today and to that which is often deep and uncomfortable for us, which is the justice of our God. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to begin by reading Genesis 18, verse 25, and then jump over and read Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4 together. So Genesis 18, verse 25, and it says this, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Now if we can look over at Deuteronomy chapter 32. So that was the words of Abraham. Now we're going to have the words of Moses. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. And Moses says this. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and Lord, you are just in all your ways. Jesus, you said you are the just judge. Oh, Holy Spirit, your word says that you will come and convict us concerning the judgment to come. We know that you are just in all of your ways, oh God. We just want to to let that sink in today of what that means in our lives and what that should mean for all of us. God, just show us the the glory of your character. Lord, show us the deceitfulness of ours. 
And help us to run to you, O God. Speak to us by your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as we look upon the landscape of our life and the world that we live in, there are two questions that seem to disturb both Christians and non-Christians alike. And those two questions are this. Why do bad things happen to good people? And then why do good things happen to bad people? You know, if we're honest, we know that we've all had moments, whether it be inwardly or maybe even outwardly, where we've declared, hey, God, where is the justice here? God, where is your justice? All of us have been in a job or at a school or with an organization where we knew people who, who lied, who cheated, um, who were anti-God, who were arrogant, the kind of people that the word jerk was made for. You know, this is the people that we knew, and yet they got the promotion, they passed the test, they got the acclaim, they accumulated the earthly blessings. It's, it's as if they don't have any struggles, they don't have any problems, they always get their way. They have everything that we ever would ever want or, or things that we like they have. And of course, we're left to go, hello, God. Hello, have you forgotten what's happening here? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And underneath those questions is a very big issue. The real issue is this. Life's not fair. I don't know if you know that or not. Some of you are like, really? Life is not fair. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to begin thinking, well, life isn't fair. God has given us life, so is God fair? Is God just? And thankfully, we don't have to settle for a fatalistic worldview. We have a biblical worldview. Let me show you something on the screen. I kind of put a little um, thing together, and hopefully you can read that. But that is a picture of a biblical worldview when it comes to the justice and the fairness of God. What our worldview, the biblical worldview, tells us is that at the beginning of time, as we know it, we have Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God creates a perfect environment where he loves the people he created. He gives them all the world and says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He communes with them in perfect harmony, in a perfect environment. They walk with him and talk with him. And that is the first two chapters of human existence. Everything is perfect. And then we have another parenthesis, and that is in Genesis chapter 3, there is a coup. There is rebellion. There is cosmic treason. There is the entrance of sin into the world. And with that sin comes death and comes judgment. Sin is judged. Sin must be judged. Uh, mankind enters into death. They're cut off from fellowship with God. They are also expelled from the garden, the tree of life, is now guarded by a, a cherubim who is guarding the holiness of God. And um, this death, or the reason this is happening, so that this death or separation will not automatically become permanent. And so what we know from here on out is that the world that we live in is not the world that God intended for us to live in. The world that you and I live in is a fallen world, and we are fallen inside of it. We live in a world that has war, that has unrest, 
that has injustice, that has diseases and destruction and death. We live in a world that does not reflect the goodness, the purity, or the holiness of the God who made it all. So in this middle parentheses, we have the whole story of mankind is, is played out. We have the story of the Old Testament, the New Testament. Our story is in that middle parentheses all the way up to Revelation chapter 20. And through it all, through that middle parentheses, we have God working um, in people, um, through people, in spite of our own sinfulness, God is working with us. And then we get to, to Revelation 20 and we have another judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment where God takes all the injustice. God takes all the pain. God takes all the bad things done to good people and all the good things done to bad people. And God makes everything right. And unfortunately, it will not end well for the sinner. And then those, that parenthesis ends and we are now in Revelation 21 where there is a new heaven, a new earth. It's a perfect environment. There is no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. And everything is as it should be again. Yet what we must remember, brothers and sisters, is we are still living inside this fallen world. We're living inside this parenthesis. Yes, God is absolutely just and he is fair. But we live in a world where justice does not come immediately. If you're taking notes, write this down. God is not a God of immediate justice, but he is a God of ultimate justice. Let me say it again. God is not a God of immediate justice, and that's good news for us, but he is a God of ultimate justice. So there are injustices in the world that we live in. Life is not fair. Sin dominates our, the scene of our world. But it raises a very good question. I think we have to wrestle with, which is how can we trust God in a world that's fallen? How can we trust God in a world where things aren't fair? And so what we know is that injustices are here they're a part of our life because sin has invaded God's creation. The Lord allows them. He never created or caused them. But at the end of time, the God that we serve will take all wrongs and he will make them right. And he will never, ever be able to be accused of being unfair. God will never be accused of being unfair in that day. So with the remaining time that we have, I want us to unpack three truths related to the justice of God. The first is this. The justice of God has been revealed. The justice of God has been revealed to us. God is just. He is entirely just. That's what the whole word of God tells us. We read Genesis 18.25, which gives us an amazing declaration from Abraham. You probably know the story, but let me just remind you of the story. Abraham is a man of God. He is called by God. God is going to bless him to make him the father of a great nation. And through that nation will be a blessing to all nations. Abraham follows God even though he has no idea where God is leading him. He just goes because God says, go. Abraham trusts God. 
And we know that Abraham took his wife and then his nephew Lot with him as well. Eventually, Abraham and Lot separated because they had a lot of livestock, needed to separate, and Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a sinful, evil, wicked place. And the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah rose up to God, and God determined that He was going to judge them. And so we... I hope you know the story. You find that there is a very special meeting where God appears to to Abraham and he lets him in on the plan where God says, I'm going to destroy this wicked people. And Abraham in Genesis 18 presumes, he presumes to negotiate with God. He says, God, if there are 50 righteous If there are 45 that are righteous, or there are 40, or 30, or 20, or 10, surely, God, you will not destroy the righteous along with the wicked. He literally negotiates with the God of heaven. And the whole basis of his negotiation is Genesis 18.25, where Abraham says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Shall not the one who judges Everything, do what is just. And just remember here, Abraham does not have the Old Testament written out. He does not have the New Testament written out. He has zero written revelation. He has experiences with God. He has spoken with God. But here is what he knows intrinsically about the character of God. God is just. God is fair. But I want you to hear, um, what I want you to hear is Abraham, even in this fallen world, appealed to God's justice on the basis of God dealing with sinful humanity. Later in history, as we read earlier, right before the death of Moses, Moses speaks to the people and says the rock, his work is perfect, all his ways are justice. In Psalm 97 too, the psalmist proclaimed Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Justice is the foundation of God's throne. The prophet Isaiah even gets in on the action. In Isaiah 30, 18, it says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. The word of God reveals to us over and over and over again that our God is a God of justice. I love the words of the late Jerry Bridges who says God's justice is inflexible. Justice may be defined as rendering to everyone according to one's due. Justice means, and hear this, it means we get exactly what we deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. In our human system of justice, a tension often exists between justice and mercy. Sometimes one prevails at the expense of the other, but there is no tension with God. Justice always prevails. With God, hear that again, with God, justice always prevails. Now, even in wrath, God remembers mercy, but justice always prevails prevails because God's justice must be satisfied. God's justice must win. 
God's justice must win. Yet for some reason, brothers and sisters, we have a tendency, not them out there, we in the church have a tendency to come up with some messed up views concerning God. We believe that somehow, some way, God's going to judge on a curve. That God's going to be like that one teacher who said, because you all did so bad, I'm going to add 10 points to your test. That way most of you are going to pass, and we feel pretty good about that. Yes, most of us will pass, but that's not how God grades. Let me remind you how God grades. You get a 100% perfect, you pass. You get a 99.9%, you fail. Thus is the standard of God. 100% be perfect, for my Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard of God. Anything else that falls short of that, we are in trouble. It doesn't matter how many good deeds we do. It doesn't matter how religious we are, how many times we come to church. It doesn't matter how moral we are. Every single one of us in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we are guilty and we are awaiting what we deserve. And let me just say this. We cannot soften the blow of this. We cannot apologize for this. We cannot pretend that things aren't bad. They are bad. We can't apologize for God. We can't. I was talking to a person the day that said, we were talking about a specific issue, of course, issues that normally come up, and they just said, I just can't, I just can't believe that about God. And I said, well, what are you believing? You believe in what the Word of God says or you believe in about, or what your heart tells you? And they said, I'm believing what my heart tells me. And I said, well, the Bible says your heart is wicked, desperately wicked, and who can know it? So you're believing something that's desperately wicked over believing the perfect Word of God. And guess what? If we're not careful, we all do it. We all do it. We cannot apologize for the God of this Word. He is just and he will do what is right. He has revealed that. So the justice of God has been revealed. But secondly, and here is the really good news for us, the justice of God has been satisfied. The justice of God has been satisfied. So follow with me here. How do you think God feels about all the sin that has infiltrated our planet and has caused all the heartache and all the brokenness that we go through? How do you think God feels about that? We know how God feels about it, right? He hates it. And God has promised to punish it. God has promised to punish sin. Yet understand this, brothers and sisters, God hasn't just promised to punish the sin. He has also promised to punish the sinner. Right? He's also promised to punish the sinner. In order for God to be just, sin must be punished. And here's the issue. Where does sin exist? Sin doesn't exist outside of us. Sin exists in the very core of us. Yes, there's other places that we can say it exists, but ultimately, sin is at the core of us. Therefore, if sin is at the core of us and God must punish sin, guess where it's going to happen? Us. Therefore, here's the good news. Don't miss this. The only way that God could be both just and holy and yet be merciful and gracious was to have his son, the perfect sacrifice, hang on the cross. And as his son hung on the cross, God poured out all of the wrath that your sin and my sin deserved upon Jesus. 
and Jesus received what we deserved. The cross is about something, and that something is justice. The cross is God's justice in action. Understand this again, brothers and sisters. God did not wink at our sin. Sin has to be punished. And God has never um, set aside or God has never suspended his sentence. Look at what Romans 3 says. And you can look at your Bible or some of it's on the screen. Romans 3, 24 through 26. It talks about Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So Jesus Christ was put forward by God to be the payment for our sin. Get this. What does it show? To show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God put forward Jesus to pay for our sins so that God would remain just. Meaning that sin must be paid for. God will not reduce the standards, but God put forward his son to do what you and I could not do. Therefore, brothers and sisters, when sinners, when we as sinners who have turned to Christ, when we are brought forward to the judge and we face the accusation of the enemy, and I don't know if you know this, but the enemy stands waiting to accuse us day and night. When that happens, Jesus appears as our advocate. And let me tell you what Jesus does. Jesus stands in between us and the accuser. And Jesus points to his hands. He points to his feet. He points to his side. And he challenges any justice that might be brought against us. And he pleads his blood against all of those accusations. And he pleads his blood triumphantly. Therefore the judge says, let them go their way, for they have found a ransom. Let them go their way, for they have Jesus. Here's a, another illustration of this principle. Psalm 103. So think about this. Psalm 103, God's justice requires him to deal um, according to sin. So to, to deal justly with sin. But in Psalm 103, verse 10, listen to what it says. Psalm 103, verse 10, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. In verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed us or our transgression from us. So does this mean that God has just ignored our sin? Does this mean that God has just dismissed, dismissed his own standard? No, of course not. God must be just. God must punish sin. Again, if God failed to be just, he would fail to be God. And God cannot fail. What it means is this, and please hear this today, brothers and sisters, all sin must be punished. All sin will be punished. Either it will be punished in the life of the sinner, or our sin will be punished in the life of Jesus. There are only two options. Either our sin will be punished in the person of the sinner or in the person of Jesus. Either we will lean upon what he has done for us or we will experience the full wrath of God forever and ever and ever. The justice of God has been satisfied. We run to Jesus. So the justice of God has been revealed. The justice of God has been satisfied. And then lastly, 
The justice of God must not be ignored. The justice of God must not be ignored. And think about this. Do you know what the Pharaoh of Egypt who stood against all the ways of, of God, do you know what he's going to get? Do you know what King Herod who tried to kill Jesus is going to get? Do you know what Hitler and all the evil that he did is going to get? They're going to get exactly what they deserve. They're going to get exactly what they deserve. And brothers and sisters, do you know what we're going to get? Do you know what we're going to get? We are going to get exactly what we deserve unless we have a sin substitute named Jesus. We're going to get exactly what we deserve unless we have trusted in what Jesus has done for us. Where he has took on our sin. He has taken on our wrath. And by grace through faith we have been forgiven. I love the words of C.S. Lewis. It says there's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who will say to God, God, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Or those who, will God, who God will say in the end, okay, you have it your way. Two kinds of people. Either those who will say, God, I want your will. Or those whom God will say, you can have it your way. And you will have it your way forever. People will get what they want, and they will get it forever and ever and ever. And the reason I say that the justice of God must not be ignored is because I believe that believers and unbelievers alike refuse to acknowledge what's coming. And what's coming is judgment. Judgment's coming. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his due. Hebrews 9.27 And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So the Bible describes two different and separate judgments. And we will be a part of one or the other. No one is exempt First, there is the judgment of the believers, the Bema seat of Christ. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 3 or 2 Corinthians 5, where we will be judged, get this, not on the basis of our sin, because Jesus has already took on our sin. Therefore, memorize Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we will not be punished on the basis of our sin because Christ has already took on our sin, but we will be judged on the basis of our works. What did we do with what Christ gave us? Understand this, brothers and sisters, God doesn't just save us and let us do what we want to until we get to heaven. He saves us and we're going to have to answer for everything we do after our salvation before him. I've heard it said this, God's going to ask us two questions in heaven. First of all, number one, what did you do with my son? And that will determine whether we, whether we spend eternity with him or apart from him. But to the saved, God is going to say this, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? The blessings, the time, the talents, all the things that Robert talked about last week. What did you do with those? We're going to have to give an account. 1 Corinthians 3 says that many people's works are going to burn up by fire. And they're going to be saved literally by the skin of their teeth. So what do we do with what Christ gave us? And secondly, the second judgment is the judgment of the unbelievers. The great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation 20, 11 through 13. Where unbelievers whose names are not written in the book of life 
are judged in their sin and they're judged because of their rebellion against Jesus and their punishment is eternal separation from God. Do you know that for the human sinner, it will take all of eternity for us to pay for our sin against a holy God? And eternity will not stop. Those who wanted no part of Christ in this world will get no part of him forever and ever and ever. In Job 8, verse 3, Bildad, one of Job's friends, asked, Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? And of course the answer is no. He is just in every way. Let me end with an amazing illustration from Billy Graham. It's in fact um, in your bulletin today. And he tells a story of a man named Warren Candler who was a young man practicing law who once defended another young man accused of murder. The young lawyer went all out in his effort to clear his client of the charge. There were some extenuating circumstances that he used um, for his benefit. And Candler made the most of those in his plea before the jury. In the end, the jury reached his verdict not guilty. The young lawyer, himself a Christian, had a serious talk with his cleared client. And he warned him to steer clear of his evil ways. And he said, please seek God. Seek God. Years passed, and again, this same man was brought before the same court. Again, the charge was murder. Candler, the, the lawyer who defended him in his first trial, was now the judge on the bench. At the conclusion of the trial, the jury rendered its verdict guilty, ordering the, the condemned man to stand for sentencing Judge Candler said this, At your first trial, I was your lawyer. Today, I'm your judge. The verdict of the jury makes, this mandatory, makes it mandatory for me to sentence you to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. Let me remind us of something, brothers and sisters. Today, Christ is our lawyer. Today, he is our lawyer. He is pleading on our behalf. He is our Savior, willing to forgive and cleanse and remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that is what he wants from all of us. Yet, there is coming a day where he will be our judge. He will be our judge. And on that day, we will get exactly what we deserve unless we have trusted in what Christ has done for us. Oh, that we have trusted what Christ has done for us. Let me come back in, in closing to the words of James Montgomery Boyce. He said this about the justice of God. And I think it's worth us pondering. He said, I pity the person who wants nothing from God but justice. The justice of God? The justice of God will send a person to hell. The justice of God will never save him. Justice condemns. It is only the grace of God in Jesus that pardons and makes alive. For those of us in this room who know Jesus and who have turned to Jesus as your substitute, let me tell you this, you can endure everything in this life knowing that our just God will one day make every wrong right. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. For those in this room who don't know him, 
Turn to him before justice has its way with you. In the words of one of the hymns that we sing, he will save you now. He will save you now. He will save you now. We must not play and toy around with the justice of God. But brothers and sisters, we can thank him that we, because of Christ, don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. Praise God, we don't get what we deserve. Oh, that we would rejoice in that and live in that every day of our lives. If you can go ahead and stand with me, we're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we ask whatever it is that the Lord is telling us to do, that we would do it. And let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you, God, one, Lord, we come before you, the just one, the one who will always do what is right, the one, God, who will without a doubt punish sin. Sin will be punished. Either it will be punished in your son and we will have Jesus as our forever substitute or it will be punished in us. God, I pray for anyone in this room today that has never turned in faith to Jesus Christ and trusted him as Savior and Lord of their lives. That today would be the day of salvation. That they would trust you now. They would trust you right now. That they would not walk out of these doors, God, uncertain. They would trust you now. God, I pray for us as believers that you would help us to trust you. Lord, your word says that vengeance is yours. Therefore, we don't have to take vengeance upon others. God, you will make every wrong right. Help us to trust that, God. Help us to trust your character and your ways. Finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.